Love the humble art you have learned and take rest in it. Pass through the remainder of your days as one who wholeheartedly entrusts all possessions to the gods, making yourself neither a tyrant nor a slave to any person. This is the Yoakum Strength Podcast with me, your host, Austin Yoakum, and producer Marcus Sasson behind the scenes. And this quote leads us into a solo podcast today. And this is the one of the first solo podcasts we've done. And I think it really relates to this quote of love the humble art you have learned and being able to work on your craft and being able to process the thoughts that I've had throughout the last 30 podcasts or so with the guest and working on some Q and A's, working on formulating my thoughts on some of these things that we continually talk about. So today's just going to be me on the podcast talking about some of the things that you guys sent out into question and answers and some of the things that I want to talk about. And the first thing that I want to kind of talk about is just kind of the rabbit hole that I've been down recently and why I find it so important is the, the play aspect, the training. And I, I, I want to draw back to how I trained. And I, I think this kind of gives a better definition. And I just realized the other day that I really hadn't described why I believe in this so much. But the, the way I trained for 23 years of my life, 24 years of my life was output based. I, I need to increase this. Uh, the, the very first thing I fell in love with, and I think it's the, the competitive attitude that I have within myself or kind of like the obsessive attitude of once I find something that I'm able to get better at, I, I constantly obsess over it. And a lot of times that kind of digs you into a hole because it, you, you put so much effort into one thing and you, you a lot of times lose sight of the bigger picture. And the first thing this happened to me with was Olympic lifting in high school. And, and our high school coach was in love with them. It, it was kind of our process. And every single day going there and trying to put five more pounds on that Olympic lift, try, trying to trying to increase every single day. It's like kind of like Milo carrying up the cow like every single day. And I was in love with that story of, all right, every single day I'm going to get better. I'm going to move forward and it's going to help. And for a while it did. And this this is the kind of the thought process for all of this. For a while it does. For a while it helps you just because you go from shit to suck. You go from being super bad at something that anything that you do is going to increase your ability on the field. And that's what Olympic lifts were for me. And for the longest time, I saw the increase on the field. And then I swore by Olympic lifts. Like, this is the number one thing. This is number one thing. Until it wasn't. Until I was throwing 315 to 350 on the bar every single day, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, doing some sort of Olympic lift. And by the time I was done with those sessions, I was destroyed. And I would have to go out to the football field, which was my sport, and try to get better. And there, there was no energy left. I was starting to see nicks and bruises. And I still swore by them, still continued to run my head into a wall here and try to push forward And until I got to college when the biggest wake-up call of there was guys on my team that played the same position as me that could clean 185. That would look disgusting. And on the field, they hit harder than me. They ran faster than me. They looked better than me. They moved better than me. And at the end of the day, they were playing and I wasn't. And that was my first wake up call of, oh shit, like there's something else here. Like wh what is happening here? Like, why are they playing? Why am I not? Like, I thought this Olympic lift was going to carry me. And this isn't a rant on Olympic lifts at all, because the next thing I did was, all right, now it's Joe DeFranco's. Now, now it's the, the West Side method. Now it's the powerlifting with some of these plyometrics and swore by that for three years, two years, saw awesome results. And again, it's just because I went from shit to suck and I started to see some results. I started to not destroy my body on that 350 pound clean every single day and started to do that with banded squats, started to do that with box jumps and this type of stuff. And again, I saw a huge increase and it worked for me. And it was part of the growth process of me as an athlete. But again, eventually we hit a wall. 
And the next thing, the next light bulb, as soon as I did that, is like, all right, now it's single leg lifts. We've got strong in a bilateral, like everybody's swearing by the single leg lifts. And now it's the single leg lifts. And this is what's going to take my gain to the next level. This is what I'm missing. And I started to get the, my, my single leg uh, lifts up to like 500 pounds. I started to crush them. And again, saw a little increase, but not a huge increase. And I was still seeing people on the field that move better than me, that, that saw the game slower than I did. Everything that I saw in the field was super fast. It happened. I was reactionary to everything that, that, that had, had moves. I was a defensive lineman that they had more pass rusher moves than me. They moved better than me. And I started to think like, all right, so it's, it's none of these things. And the light bulb went off like, all right, now maybe it's, I just need to become a better mover. Maybe it's not the obsessing over the outputs. And, that, and that's what many coaches do. And many athletes do because it's, it's fun. It's addictive to obsess over the outputs, but I kind of was writing about this and thinking about it. Like I was building up a massive battery that didn't fit in the toy of the sport that I was playing. I, I, I had a huge battery of output ability, a lot of output ability. I could, I could, I was actually pretty fast for my position group. I was strong for my position group. I could throw, drag, do anything that you wanted me to do in the weight room and this type of stuff. But on the field, none of this output was actually being put into the field. And that there, there was some carryover. I shouldn't say none of it, but, and that's where I still think you still need to build up that battery. You still need to have these aspects, but it, it wasn't the direct correlation. Like there was definitely a missing link. Like there was still guys that had a smaller battery than me that looked better on the field than me. And that's really where it, the past year and a half, two years, it's taken me down this rabbit hole of how can we create constant lifelong learners and movers? How can we create people to have these output options now. So now we've built up this big battery. How can we give them options to display this output that they have to, all right, they know what they have to do. Now they can learn it and pick it up quickly because throughout their training, they've been learning and picking things up. They, they, they've been learning how to move, grow and fail. And I think this is a lot. We talk about how mentally tough power lifters are and how mentally tough like Olympic lifters and this type of stuff. But at the end of the day, and especially for me, like a lot of this stuff is ego driven. It's the aspect of, all right, I'm good at Olympic lifting. I'm good at power lifting. So I'm going to continue to do it. Maybe we add in a different variation that you suck at for a week, but at the end of the day, it's still a squat pattern. Like you're still really good at a squat pattern. So everything we do is an ego booster. It, it feels good. We're not failing a ton in training. We're not learning a ton in training. Even if you are learning something, it, it's to such a small degree. And Again, I don't want to shit on any of this because I still use it all in my programs. I still think it's a big part. I just kind of want to dive into why we have changed our approach to making sure our athletes fail in training, making sure we put our athletes in positions that they aren't going to succeed in in training. And a lot of this is like crawling, especially with football guys. And you have an athlete that maybe he has a maybe he has a wrestling background and he's pretty good at crawling and rolling. But a lot of football guys like and this is my main clientele is that they're terrible at crawling. They're terrible at rolling. So we do these things so that they learn. And once they master these things, we, we find something else for them that they suck at. Uh, maybe it's bigs backpedaling. Maybe it's doing positions that they haven't been in before. So they have options to be able to do this on the field. And it's not going to be the direct correlation, but we, we talk about speed reserves a lot in this field. And we talk about power reserves and strength reserves. And I want to create a movement reserve for them. So even though it's a not direct correlation, now they're able to know they can get their bodies in certain positions, know they can fall, know they can do these things. And most of all, know they can fail in training and they've, they've failed in training and now they can learn and grow. And the first time that they fail on that field is not the first time they failed in six months in training and they know how to react to it. They're like, all right, I got beat on that one. How can I get back into this? How can I emotionally get back into this? How can I 
mentally get back into this and not allow it to destroy the game. And bringing it back to that movement reserve, this is what we're seeing with a lot of athletes is even if we want to go injury wise is you're going to face awkward positions on the field of play. And we talk about training awkward positions in sports. And then, and again, I, we do these things in our training, but the, the awkward positions and quotations that we do then once we talk about it as a sport coach is we'll do like a lateral lunge and say, all right, this is our awkward position for the day. This is something that our athlete isn't good at. And while they're not good at it, like that awkward position is still completely controlled compared to what we see on the field, compared to the falling, compared to the basically like eating shit that you'll see on the field when somebody cut blocks you, when somebody takes you out, when your own offense lineman steps on your foot and you start to fall, like what's your movement reserve in that situation? Are you going to put your arm on the ground? It's your first time falling in that awkward situation. And now your shoulders destroyed, which you see a lot in football. Like number one thing we see I've seen through my playing days was guys just falling and their shoulders done. And then they have, they have a shoulder soldier, shoulder injury, and then they don't come back the same player or they, they have these issues. And it's because I, and I believe it's because we, we haven't, we don't have a movement reserve. We, we have nothing. We talk about awkward training. We talk about things that we're going to challenge our athletes with, but the athlete picks it up pretty easy. And it doesn't really compare that much to the field of play. And that's just why I wanted to draw it back to why I think this way. I talked to a lot of coaches about trying to dive into their why, but I think that's really why I believe in what I believe in right now, trying to create lifelong movers, trying to create lifelong learners and trying to continue to challenge our athletes to build a movement reserve. We're still building movement output. We're still building all these output things. What I don't do is swear by them. I, I, I don't swear by a strength output. I, I don't put 90% of my time into a strength output. I don't put 90% of my time even into a speed output, which I think speed is huge. But again, my speed training in college, I was fast for my position. I was fast for a lot of positions and fast in a straight line is much different than processing games at a slow enough speed to use that speed. And that's where I want to challenge my athletes and continue to grow my athletes of we're going to use all of these things. I'm not going to say we use all of these things. We're going to actually use all of these things. We're going to frustrate you in our training. We're going to do things I promise you are not going to like to do. There's not one wide receiver or defensive back that I've had together that they love grappling, that they love having contact with another athlete, that they, they, they want to make a move and they want to score. But at the end of the day, they have to tackle. At the end of the day, they have to break that defensive back's hands to get open for that touchdown. And, then, and a lot of times they don't love this stuff. They don't love crawling. They don't love rolling. It's not a lot of fun. You, you hear a lot of athletes a lot of times bitch about it and creating that environment to where they're frustrated in the training to where they're growing in the training. I think that that's one of the most important things we do with our training. And that's just kind of the rant that I wanted to, to start off this solo podcast with. And again, this, these are rabbit holes that I've been down every rabbit hole. Just like I mentioned, I've been down the Olympic lifting rabbit hole. I've been down the Louis Simmons West side been down the, the single leg strength, the French contrast, the triphasic training rabbit holes and all these rabbit holes. And I think they all have their pieces. I think we need to draw upon all these pieces rather than staying in that rabbit hole. And Maybe this movement rabbit hole right now, maybe I'm too far into that movement rabbit hole, but my process and my continued growth is to try and grab pieces from all of these rabbit holes and make it into the Yoakum Strength program that we have, not making it into somebody else's program, not making it into a triphasic program, but using these pieces as pieces, not as the whole. And this is where I kind of want to transition into our question and answers. And this was something that I posted on the Instagram the other day of 
just what people had for questions, what people wanted to know about. And I think this is going to help me direct some of these conversations just so I don't get off into a huge rant, this entire thing about play and just talking by myself, which obviously we have to get better at. But the, the, the first one, and this is this is one that I think is going to be an awesome one to start with, is question of where I'm at now and where I want to be in 10 years. And then some of the core values that I think are going to help achieve that process. And I think the core values, and we continue to mention this and I continue to say it, but it, it's, it is the keep chopping wood. It's the consistent and small growth. And I think, and I got the tattoo last year sometime, but it, it talks about the, the flood is coming. Like all of this ties into the consistent small growth. And I think when you, when you have a small business, when, when you're doing anything, maybe, maybe you're an athlete, maybe you're another coach, maybe you have these things, but some days are super high. Some days, everything in the world, in your program, in your life, in your business is going right. You had that person sign up. You had nobody drop. Everybody enjoyed the program. Everybody's DMing you, telling you what a good job you did. And if, if, and this is definitely me early on, if you don't behave, you get a little too high off of that. You, you feel a little bit too good. You feel a little bit too comfortable. And then the next day, and a lot of times it is the very next day. A lot of times, maybe it's a week later, something doesn't go right. Maybe it's been a while since somebody signed up. Maybe that bill came. Maybe there's an issue that comes. And now you have that low point and it's it doesn't feel good. And it's the process of being able to stay in that middle ground, knowing the flood is coming. And this is something that has helped me so much is knowing the flood is coming, knowing in those high days when everything feels great, knowing in that moment that the next day is probably not going to feel as good. And it's not to me, it's not depressing. It's not a pessimistic. I have a very optimistic mindset. And this is why I think it helps me a little bit because it's not pessimistic for me. It just allows me to settle and reset myself to the baseline of, all right, this is good. Take it for what it is. Realize that it's a good day, but also know something bad is coming. Also know that there's going to be an issue coming tomorrow. There's going to be some sort of issue that you have to process. And if you allow yourself to ride the waves of life, you're never really going to get a ton done. Trying to stay in that middle ground. Trying to stay in, all right, this is a good day. There's something bad coming. Realize that. So when that something bad hits, you have your foundation. You used the good days to build up a foundation a little bit for that bad day that's coming. You've built up your foundation for the flood that's about to hit. And when that flood hits, it's not as bad. And you can rebuild quicker. And that good day comes quicker. And those floods still keep coming, but they're usually not as bad. Or even if they are as bad, you realize they're coming and they don't take you by storm. It's not the random chaos that hits you in life. It's the ability to be, all right, this is bad. How can I process it now? How can I be logical in this situation? And I think this consistently allows you to win. Even when you lose, even in the micro, when you lose in that day, even when that bill hits, even when that client quits the program, even when you, you have something big in your life come up, even when you fall behind in that day, you realize in the long term you are winning. And this is something that I love is like, at the end of the day, one coin makes a man rich. And if you break it down, like if you give a man a coin every single day, every single day, they get a coin. Every single day I get a coin. I'm building it up. At some point, you have to say one coin makes that man rich. It's not the single coin. It's not the one coin that first day that you give that man. But after 10 years, after five years, after a year, you have to say that the next coin that you gave that man made him rich. You have to say that that man is rich. And it's because every single day he's made one coin. And I think where a lot of people get stuck is they try to make bank right away or they, they have they have the struggle in their head of 
I can never make it to that point. I can never climb that mountain. And that's, that's not what happened. Every single successful person I've talked to, that's never what happens. It's never the overnight success. It looks like one. And it, it, it's because that person is cashing in those coins every single day. It's because that person is consistently winning that you don't see it. You don't see the underwriting wave. You don't see them gradually climbing the mountain. And then one day you wake up, you're at look and you're like, holy shit, that person has climbed the mountain. That person has made it. And then you start to say, all right, that, that person's an overnight success. I can never do that. And it's never that situation. It's the consistent, small growth. It's every single day putting something in. It's every single day growing. And then that's really where I think in 10 years, I want to take this program. And there's many directions that I'm thinking about. There, there, there's many things that I want to do. Is it, is it big gym? Is it small gym? Is it dominating the online program? Is it not? Is it focusing 100% in the private sector, in the collegiate sector? Like as, soon, as long as we're winning every single day, as long as we're moving forward as a person, as a business, as a program, moving forward every single day and 10 years, the, the actual what of what we're going to do will take care of itself. I think the, the, the book range is, does a really nice job and helped formulate some of these thoughts for me, but the book range did a nice job of trying to learn from everything and everything around you, you're going to be able to grab from. So it's not so much trying to set the path of I'm going completely straight. I'm going in this direction. I'm going to own a 20,000 square foot GM in 10 years. Cause at the end of the day, tomorrow, I might not want to do that tomorrow. That might not be the best move tomorrow. That might just not make sense. So why put all my eggs into that basket when if I consistently focus on growing who I am, growing my knowledge base, working with the people that I work with today and making sure I provide them value and provide them an awesome training session that day and moving that forward. At the end of the day, the 10 years of where I'm going to be and what I'm going to be doing will take care of itself. In some regard, it's, it's all going to add up to being a leader and changing the community and in a way that I want to change the community. Maybe that's with the gym. Maybe it's not. But that part's going to take care of itself. And then the next question was, what's kind of the biggest issue I have with the strength and conditioning world? And this is something that I ranted on just a little bit the other day, but I don't even think it's just the strength and conditioning world. I think it's all kind of the battle between the people coming up and the people that are already there. And it's the, the inability to process and change for the people that are already in power. They're in power. They want to stay in power. They don't want anything to change. Anything that changes takes away a little bit of that power. And you can use power in any sense their position that they're in, the money that they're making, the social influence that they have. And this is where you see, especially in the strength conditioning world, a lot of coaches that have made it that, that, that shit on the social media aspect side of things, that shit on what we're doing right now with this podcast, the sharing information, that, that don't like some of the play stuff that we talk about, that don't like some of the newer methods. And to me, I find this really funny because for them to make it to where they're at, they had to challenge some of the rules. They had to be in the positions that some of the young strength conditioning coaches like myself are in now. They had to challenge some of the rules. They had to break some of the rules. They had to come up with their own thought processes, not just use what they learned in the from the big strength coaches at the time, but they had to challenge things. And that challenging of the current situation is what has allowed them to rise to the level that they're currently at. It is what made them who they are. And when they were able to use that as an advantage, when they were able to use that to climb, they were all about change. They were all about challenging things. They were all about challenging the Olympic lifts. They're all about challenging the bilateral aspect of things. And now they're at the top and you see a lot of the coaches at the top. And I shouldn't say a lot, but you see some of the coaches at the top now turn around and be like, all right, don't challenge these things. Don't challenge what I'm saying. I'm a coach. I have 15 years of experience here. Don't challenge some of the marketing things that coaches do. Just grind. Just do the unpaid internship. Just do this aspect of it. 
just spend five years of your life not getting paid and going through the college sector because that's what I did. And to me, that doesn't really make any sense because if you want to be at the top, if you want to challenge and change things, you have to challenge and change things. You have to challenge and change the aspect of it. You have to be the 22-year-old, 21-year-old coach that starts that private sector GM and figures it out as he goes. That changes the, the payment aspect of how you get paid in this field. That changes the thought process of, all right, now we're at the unilateral and the, the, the non-Olympic lifting side of things. And we're against ladders. And I, I like all of that stuff. And now we're at that aspect. But now where can we take the field? How can we grab stuff from that and change it and continue to progress the field? So at the end of the day, we're still moving the field forward. And we're not just settling for what the top is saying now. Because if you settle and you want to be a sheep, you want to be a puppet, like don't be mad when you get treated like a sheep, when you get treated like a puppet. I'm not saying you have to be a conspiracy theory. I'm not saying you have to challenge everything. But the, the most frustrating thing in the strength conditioning field is the inability to challenge, the inability to think in a different way. And I think a lot of it, and a lot of it's in the business realm of things. A lot of it is in how to make money in this field. I'm not saying I'm an expert in any regard in that aspect. I'm still young. I'm still growing the, this business. But it's the inability to even challenge or ask about some of these things. It's getting shit on other coaches shitting on other coaches for posting things about this. Brett Bartholomew, I think, is an awesome example of a coach that completely is trying to change the field in getting paid and getting respected in your field. And you, you'll see a lot of coaches this make fun of and just be like, all right, he doesn't have skin in the game. He's not coaching athletes. And like, he is trying to change completely this field and change how we go about it. Just like you did when you were on your way up. And I think that's, I think that's probably my biggest frustration. I'll stop that rant, but continue to challenge, continue to try and change, continue to think on your own. And if you want to be a puppet, don't be mad when you get played like a puppet. And that leads us into the, the next question. And this is my boy, uh, Mr. Harrington. I uh, had him on the podcast earlier, but he asked, what have I changed my mind on in the past year? And I love this question because I ask all my guests this and it kind of throws them for a curveball whenever I ask them this. Uh, and they're like, oh, what, what do you want to know about? But for me, I changed my mind on almost everything. And I think this is something that I want to continue to say. That's my answer. Like the constant growth of things, trying to say yes to things, trying to Again, I think it goes back to that point of challenging things and growing things. Like, what have I changed my mind on the past year? Everything, every single day, questioning every single everything, every single day. And an example I, I can bring up just to give a specific example is like the mentally tough aspect of things. And this is something that I've had a lot of conversations with people of what is mentally tough? What makes one person successful mentally? What makes one person grind, get after it more than the other person? And coming up in the field, Coming up as a football player, coming up as a guy that loved the rah-rah, loved the Eric Thomas type stuff, loved the motivational type stuff. I always thought it was like, I'm just mentally stronger than people. I mentally want it more. I want it more than you. I'm going to go get it. And while I still love that stuff and it gets me fired up and I still think it's a big part of it, to me, I think it's more about the systems and processing things differently than the next person. Why was I able to grind more than people? Why am I able to work the way I work? I don't know right now. And maybe I'll change my mind on it, but I don't know right now if it's so much in quotations, I'm mentally tougher than people. I think it's, I process things differently and I set up my systems and reward systems better than people. I find stuff that other people don't like to do. I find a way in my head to reward myself for that, for lifting. I, I, I love the progress that gives. Some people hate lifting. To me, that does not make me more mentally tough than the next person. They find rewards in things 
that I don't find rewards in. And that's how they build their systems. And I think this is where we really have to break it down, especially with our athletes and especially with people that want to be successful is how are we building up your systems? How are we building up reward systems for you to find things rewarding? I always bring it back to throwing the hammer because that was something that for some reason in my head, I was obsessed with. It was something that every single day I could go out there and take literally 50 to 100 throws every single day. And at the end of the day, I would say it was the grind. I would say it is these things, but it was because I was I enjoyed it. That is why I did it. It was I, at no point in there did I think, oh, I got to go do this. Oh, I got it. It was in my head. Some way I found a way to process that and reward myself for throwing, for doing that thing. I threw more than other people because I enjoyed it. I lifted more than other people because I found a way to enjoy it. In this business, in putting out content and doing these things, the only reason I'm able to do it more than other people is because I enjoy it. And this is where I find, I think it's super dangerous to try and force something like that, to try and force the grind. If you don't enjoy it, you will 100 times out of 100 are going to get beat by somebody like me that is a psycho that enjoys that process. And if I try to force myself to grind in something I don't enjoy, that you do enjoy 100 times out of 100, I'm going to get beat by you, the psycho that enjoys something that I don't enjoy. And this is something that I want to continue to write my thoughts down about and continue to grow. But you need to find a way with your athletes and with yourself to one, find what you enjoy. Find what gives you a flow state. Find what gives you passion to do it. That does not mean it's all sunshine and rainbows. It does not mean it's going to be the easiest thing in the world. It does mean in some regard, you are being rewarded for that aspect. You are being rewarded for what you are doing. And then two, pursuing these things and actually doing them and not trying to force yourself into a rabbit hole that you don't enjoy. If every single day you wake up and dread doing what you do, you are going to get beat. You can't fight that. You can't fight the psycho that enjoys that. You may be more talented in some regard. You may win some there. But if you personally do not enjoy that, some weirdo out there does. Some weirdo out there is going to work 100 hours and do that and enjoy it and find flow state in that. So make sure you find what you love doing. Stop talking about the grind. Stop talking about mental toughness in that aspect. And start thinking about systems and start thinking about rewards for what you're doing. And now we're going to take it to another Austin Harrington question. And that was one that he, he kind of asked me a lot about my own personal health and my own personal journey, which I, I love because he kind of challenged me a little bit on it. But he asked, when do I feel the healthiest mentally, physically, spiritually? And I love this question because it's actually something that I've taken a little bit of a step back. Maybe it is something that I have changed my mind on in the past year. But I think the first year of the business, I had to make a lot of sacrifices to my own own health. I was staying up late, waking up early, almost doing the grind that I just talked about not doing. And I was burning out on both ends. There, there was a lot of times where I was going into sessions and just not feeling super great. And I, I hated that. And I was able to push through and do it. But there was just some days where I was like, dude, like you, you, you got to fix it. And I don't know if there's a way to fix it in that regard, just because I needed to get the things done that I needed to get done. But I needed to set up more focus on my health. And once I've done that, and I think quarantine and the, the COVID was a really good situation for me because it focused and almost forced me to do this exact thing, but to spend time on myself and see how much more productive I can be after feeling healthy, mentally, physically, and spiritually. Physically, you have all the lifts and that type of stuff. But one of the biggest things like I've been adding in for mental health is in mental health in the aspect of how can I enter my flow state and think the way that I want to think 
in creating ideas that I want to create and write the way that I want to write. And it, it's been adding like hour long fasted walks in the morning and just listening to music. And this is something that triggers my flow state almost nine times out of 10 every single morning, just hour long walk in the sun, get some sunlight, get a good walk and get a good sweat in, listen to some music, listen to something that triggers a flow state and then write those thoughts down. Try to develop ideas through that thought process that you gain when you're walking. And for some reason, this is, this is something that has helped me tremendously. And a lot of times the ideas just pop up. And this is where I think a lot of people struggle with trying to force an idea, trying to force something. And you hear Joe Rogan talk about how like a lot of times, even his jokes or just any idea that he has, it kind of just pops up. And that's been something that I've been noticing a lot recently. It's just during these walks, I'll be walking, an idea will pop up. I just write it down really quickly in my phone, put my phone back in my pocket and continue to walk. And once I want to dive deeper into that topic or that idea that I brought up, I'll sit down, do it later at night, just dive in. But that walk is really something health-wise mentally that has allowed me to enter a flow state to be able to develop my thoughts and ideas and think differently. And this is something that I also want to talk about with the, like, when do I feel the healthiest in quotations? And I know it's not health in quotations and maybe not the pathway Austin wanted me to cover here, but it is the, for me to feel the best way that I want to feel. I got to separate myself from people. And this maybe sounds counterintuitive to what a lot of people talk about, like surround yourself with a lot of people, surround yourself with community. But to me, if I want to think the way that I want to think and I want to get some of these ideas right or wrong, ideas that pop up, ideas that are different, ideas that are not part of the group think, I need to have, in quotations, alone time. I need to have that time to walk. I need to spend some time by myself. I need to spend time with people that are not just also in that daily grind. And that is when I do feel the healthiest, when I actually feel right, is when I allow myself to do this time. If I'm spending too much time with people, spending too much time with the business, spending too much time communicating with everybody, I really start to feel like I'm thinking like a lot of other people. I'm thinking the same exact thoughts. I'm agreeing with a lot of people. And for me, I, I really struggle with that thought process because I, I want to be able to challenge these things. I want to be able to have outside ideas. I want to be able to think in a different way. And I can always go back to the mainstream way of doing it like that. You can do that like that. You can snap back into that. But that alone time is something that I think a lot of people don't do. They, they, and alone time in quotations talks about media, talks about like it. When you wake up, are you spamming yourself with social media? That's not alone time. That, that is getting other people's thoughts and other people's group things spammed in your head. Are, when you get home from work, are you turning on the TV and just absorbing things on the TV? And I think this is something I clicked the other day. I was, I was at a laundromat the other day and they had some sort of soap opera, not soap opera, but some just crappy news station on. It was the first time I literally watched news in five years. I was like, holy shit. Like, this is why a lot of people think the way they think. It's because this is where they get their information from. This is what they're drenching and soaking their minds in. And it was just crap, just crap left and right. Ding, 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 ding. Idea, idea, idea. Nothing diving deep. Something to always keep you captivated and always keep you interesting. And I was watching that. And I was like, people that get their information from this are literally destroying their brains, like destroying the natural creative process that they have, just filling their brains with this useless information. And that is why, like, when I start to do that and I start to surround myself with those things and those people and that social media and that type of stuff. That's when I start to really feel bogged down in everyday life. And when I 
stop to feel like I stop feeling healthy. I stop feeling the way that I want to feel. I stop thinking the way that I want to think. And that's definitely the number one thing that I do is just alone time, walk, right. Alone time, walk, right. Create. How can I create? How can I get that flow state? How can I think the way that I want to think? And now to end the podcast, we got three rapid fire rounds. And I just want to do rapid fire just because I end every podcast with rapid fire and quotations. And some people love it. Some people hate it. But these are three other questions that I think we can answer pretty quickly. Probably shouldn't answer pretty quickly, but we're going we're gonna to answer them pretty quickly. We're going to rapid fire this. But the first one is the Division One move. And for people that don't know, St. Thomas just got accepted into moving up to the Division One level. And we're going to go from being the biggest coach in a MIAC to in quotations, the youngest strength coach in the in division one. I just love doing that just to get people riled up, but we're moving to division one. We're taking that jump. We're moving forward. And the question was like, what are going to be some of the biggest changes? And my answer there is just going to be keep chopping wood. We're, we're going to figure out adjust and go. We're going to continue to make the strides forward that I want to make as a program, as a school. We're going to continue to follow the leadership of coach Caruso and continue to do the things that we've been doing now just at a different level. I don't think our process is going to change. I think our process has allowed us to make this jump, has allowed us to reach the level we're going to reach. And as soon as you destroy that process, you destroy who you are. The next question is stretching, dynamic, static. Should we stretch before lifts? Should we stretch after lifts? And maybe one day we'll dive deeper into the whole stretching thing. But just to answer this quickly, I think if we're focused on all these small details about when to stretch, if to stretch, what type of stretching? I think our mind is probably in the wrong spot. I think we're thinking about some of the smaller issues. I think we need to think about the body in a more global way. I think we need to think about the body of why do we need to stretch? If you can answer that question of why we need to stretch, then I think that's going to lead you down a better rabbit hole than what type of stretching, when to stretch. You know, like I think we're stuck in the weeds a little bit here, and there's definitely time to go into the weeds, but. I would challenge you to think about that question in a broader sense. Why do we need to stretch? Why does this athlete that you're talking about need to stretch? Why do you need to stretch? Why every day do you feel like crap? A lot of times that's why people feel like they need to stretch. I'm not saying stretching is not important, but a lot of times people think they need to stretch because they feel like crap every day. They're super tight. Why do you feel super tight? Has the stretching been helping that? Maybe it's a programming issue. Maybe there's something else in your life that is causing that tightness. Maybe it is stretching. Maybe you do need to stretch more or maybe not. But globally, let's take a different look at that question. Let's take a bigger look at that question. Let's dive a little bit deeper into that question rather than trying to stay on the surface level of the what there. And then the final question of the podcast, and this is my boy, Andrew and Sarah uh, of the Back Pocket Podcast, who kind of sent in some of the probably top four questions of the podcast, but I'm going to answer one of his here, right here. And this is, um, is there ever a time to bunt? And Andrew's asking this question because he knows that Yoakam Strength has a big softball tournament coming up this weekend. And by the time this podcast is posted, we'll be 2-0 champs. But is there ever a time to bunt, Andrew? Absolutely not. Dingers all day. Swing as hard as you can. Get after it. Keep chopping wood. Thank you guys for listening.